0: Thank you, Pastor Dave. Like you said, my name is Kristen wines and I am just honored to be here to share with you all um, in your study of Revelation. Um, as you guys have been going through the last couple months, I've been following along with your sermons that you've posted online. And I know I've really enjoyed learning. Um, I've not done a whole lot of study on Revelation until now. And so I've really enjoyed how Pastor Dave and Pastor Kristen and Pastor Kyle have been leading us through Revelation. And I know I've often been overwhelmed and they've mentioned this. Like, there's so many symbols. There's so many numbers. How do we understand it all? And so I've just really appreciated the approach they've taken where the symbols are important but let's not lose picture like lose sight of this bigger picture of what john is communicating both to the church then and to us now and so i've tried to keep that in mind as well Um, today we're going to look at a short passage out of revelation 19. i know pastor dave last week walked you through um, a couple chapters before in the beginning of chapter 19 um, and he talked about not putting our trust in the things of this world and coming out of the world, being fully devoted to Christ. And that and and so and then, you know, as you continue on and you get to the near the end of Revelation, you'll see the fullness of the coming of the kingdom of Christ. But nestled right in between there is a couple verses that we're going to look at today that talk about the bride getting ready for the wedding, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, counting my own wedding, I've been married almost four years. In a couple weeks, it'll be four years. But counting my own, I have been in ten weddings, which seems like a lot. <laughs> and I've helped a lot of brides get ready in the last couple years. And if you haven't been in a wedding recently, you may not remember how much work goes into getting ready for the wedding, both on the day of and in the months beforehand, um, preparing, getting centerpieces ready, planning all the details. It's a lot of work. And it's been fun. It's a joy to do it. It's a lot of work, right? And one wedding I was in, we had to arrive at the church at 6.30 in the morning for to get our hair ready, our makeup, all of that. And it was like, oh, my word, it was so early. I showed up with a huge coffee in hand. Thankfully, the mother of the bride brought breakfast for all of us. But, wow, that was a long day of getting ready. Thankfully, my own wedding was a little bit um Well, it was just later in the day. That's all the difference was. But, you know, I had to start at 930. I had my first hair or makeup appointment. Then I had a hair appointment. My girlfriends all came. We were getting ready together. But it was a full day of preparations, putting the final touches on the sanctuary. My husband, on the other hand, woke up whenever he wanted. (laughs) He made himself a pancake breakfast because that's what he would do on Saturday mornings or other special occasions. We ate pancakes. And then he went on a walk in the woods to contemplate this big life change that was about to happen. And then he came back, got ready. Around lunchtime, his brothers picked him up, and they all went to the church together to get ready, which took about 20 minutes. And then I think they sat around and, like, played cards for an hour and a half until the rest of the ladies were ready to do pictures and the ceremony and all that. So, you know, especially for the bride, but for everyone, there's so much preparation that goes into a wedding. And it is just the same in the kingdom of God as the, we, the bride of Christ, the global church, as we are preparing for the wedding of the Lamb. And so I'm going to read um, our passage today from Revelation 19, verses 6 through 10. And John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell to his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And Pastor Dave has mentioned this a couple times as you've gone through your study um, of Revelation. But Revelation is full of symbols largely from the old testament but some from the new testament as well and this symbol of the wedding the marriage is no exception so i want to give you just a couple examples so you see kind of um, the storyline of what it means to be the bride of christ In isaiah 54 5 isaiah writes telling speaking to israel your maker is your husband the lord almighty is his name the holy one of israel is your redeemer he is called the god of all the earth In Jeremiah 3.14, God says, return faithless people, again speaking to Israel, for I am your husband, I chose you, and I will bring you to Zion. In Hosea 2, God says that Israel will call him my husband instead of my master, and God again says, I will make you my wife forever. In the Gospels, Jesus continues this with some of the parables that he tells in Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of God and how it's like a man throwing a wedding feast and inviting lots of people. And he says that many are called, but few are chosen. And in Matthew 25, Jesus tells another parable about the kingdom of God being like uh, bridesmaids who are waiting for the groom to come. And, and we'll come back to that later this morning, actually. In Mark 2, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom when he is asked why his disciples don't fast. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with him? They cannot, so long as he is with them. And John 3, John the Baptist also describes Jesus this way. He says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And John says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. In 2 Corinthians and Ephesians, Paul again continues this and even develops this, this image of the, the church as the bride. He refers to the whole church, Jew and Gentile, together as the bride of Christ. And he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. In Ephesians 5, again, Paul draws on this image of Jesus being the husband of the church. And he uses that picture as a uh, just an example of how we should relate to one another in our human marriages. And so this vision from Revelation 19 is pulling straight from all these themes. Old Testament all the way through the epistles. The wedding has come. The bride is making herself ready. And blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so that's us. We all together as God's people are the bride of Christ. We have been invited to the wedding feast. And we who have endured to the end trials and persecutions who have rejected the things of this world and clung tightly to jesus as the only hope we are making ourselves ready and we have accepted the invitation to the feast and this points us to matthew 25 and so i'll read that parable now that i mentioned earlier at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom five of them were foolish and five were wise the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them the wise ones however took oil and jars along with their lamps the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep understandable at midnight midnight at midnight the cry rang out here is the bridegroom come out to meet him then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps and the foolish ones said to the wise give us some of your oil our lamps are running out no they replied there's not going to be enough for both us and you Go out and to those who sell it and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. But later the others also came, and they said, Lord, Lord, banging on the door, Lord, Lord, open the door. And he replied, I don't think I know you. And Jesus says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So what exactly is happening in this parable? Obviously very different from most of the weddings I've, well, all of the weddings I've been in. I don't wait up till midnight for the wedding party to arrive. But this is, a, they're describing a very traditional Middle East wedding for Middle Eastern culture. And so in this culture, the family and the friends, everyone who was invited to the wedding would gather at the home of the groom, of his family, and they would wait. The groom would go across town or to the next village or wherever his bride was getting ready at her family's home and hopefully she was ready around the time he arrived with his friends but we all know how that goes and then he would take her and he would bring her back to his family's home for the wedding feast and the ceremony but as i think is understandable any young groom is very excited very proud and so he doesn't want to just take the most direct route he's going to kind of wind his way through the village to make sure everyone can see his new bride can share in his celebration and this was not uncommon and so that is a very plausible reason that they are late coming to the wedding. He's just excited. Maybe she was running late getting ready. Who knows? But at any rate, those who are waiting are tired. It's taking longer than they expected, um, and so these young women, kind of like bridesmaids. Oh, and I will say that I think it would have gone without saying that the bride is coming back with the bridegroom. Like that's why he goes across town and is coming back. That she, we just, we can assume, I think, that she is coming. With them, based on what we know of that ancient culture. But needless to say, everyone's there waiting. Her friends probably are some of these young women with their lamps waiting. um, And that was common. Women out at night would have a lamp with them, both for their own safety and just to avoid any rumors that might start about women who are sneaking around in the dark at night. So it's very common that they're all there with their lamps ready. They fall asleep because he's taking a long time. And then when they come, when, and then they go out, when the groom comes, they hear him coming, they have to go out and get some more oil again. That would not have been uncommon. It sounds like they were able to find oil fairly quickly and come back. But when they return, the door has been shut and the feasting had begun. And the Lord replies when they knock, I don't think I know you. But notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say that he, the door remained closed or that the door was opened to them. And while it may seem like the story is unfinished, I think Jesus gave us enough information to get the point across that he wanted. We may not know how the story ends, but what Jesus is communicating, we must be ready. It's not about are they coming in or not. He told other parables about that, right? This one is about being ready. Even if it takes longer than we might want or that we might think it will. And so this idea of getting ready being prepared for the wedding is throughout the revelation passage that we read and this Matthew 25 passage. And so in revelation, I think there's about three ways in which we can get ready and be ready for the wedding. These are not the only ways. Our whole walks with Jesus, our whole Christian lives are getting us ready, but there's a couple ways I see this happening in revelation. The first is to know God. That may seem obvious, but all of these passages about worship, worship, and we cannot worship that which we do not know. Otherwise, it is just empty words. It be, John hears this Hallelujah, our Lord God Almighty reigns. And this word that is translated, Lord God Almighty, is Pentocrator, which literally means the one who controls all things, the one who has all things in his grip, and the one whose power guides and directs all things. And when you think about the whole context of Revelation, how much suffering is happening, persecution, this hard, like, focus to reject the things of the world, to come out of the things of the world, John still call, John still hears God being called the Lord God Almighty who has all things in his grip. William Barclay writes, in such times, John still calls God the pink crator, the one who holds all things in the grip of his hand. Because it never occurred to John that in the midst of all this, God had lost grip of the situation. He does not. That is the God we know, that no matter what happens, he has not lost grip of the situation. We can worship him no matter what. Another way that I see the people preparing is by enduring through persecution. And while that may not be our current reality, I think one thing we can do is to prepare and to learn what we can from believers who are enduring persecution, both in scripture and in the world today. So John hears him saying, the multitude saying, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. And there is only one other place in the New Testament where these two verbs that are rejoice and be glad, there's only one other place those two verbs are come together, and it's in Jesus' promise in the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes to those who are persecuted. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so again, William Barclay writes, it says, if the multitude of the redeemed that John is hearing have sent up their shout of praise because that promise is coming true. As to, as they have endured persecution, they are able to say, they are able to rejoice and be exceedingly glad, just like Jesus told them, because they are receiving their reward in heaven. And again, this may not seem like our current reality today, but one way that I'm learning to kind of prepare my mind and my spirit for this is that as I'm reading scripture, I ask God to show me and point me to passages where people are experiencing suffering and persecution and hard times. And I try to pay attention to how do they respond to that and what benefit do they receive either in this current life, more often in the life to come. And so I'm trying to be thinking and learning how do I respond to suffering? How do I respond to persecution? Because scripture shows us when we respond the way that God shows us, we can receive many benefits in the life here and the life to come. We can join with those who are already rejoicing and being glad because they are receiving their reward. The third way that I see people responding in this Revelation passage is by doing the righteous acts. Um, Verse 8 says that fine linen, bright and clean, was given her, the church, to wear. And then John, like in parentheses, says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. And I'm just going to pause and say here, out of all the symbols in Revelation, Revelation, this is the one John felt like he needed to be like, in parentheses, this is exactly what the symbol means. And I'm like, I don't know, the beast, the woman, like the dragons, like none of those he wanted to explain to us. Just the, the linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. I would have picked other ones for John to explicitly explain, but he didn't. This is the one we know exactly what this symbol means. So let's not, let's not waste that. We know what this one means. We can go with it. So. The righteous acts of God's people. What I'm not saying is let's do all every good deed all the time, every righteous act. No, that leads to exhaustion and burnout. and Or just feeling like we're never doing enough. But Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are infinite good things that any of us could do. Infinite right, righteous acts. Any of those are good but God has prepared good works, righteous acts for each of you. And it is worth taking the time to ask God, how can I honor you by doing the things you have given me to do as part of a clothing, the bride clothing herself in this beautiful linen? And just think, like, any white linen is good, but think about if you're doing exactly what God is calling you to do. Like, you know, like, I just think that just adds to the beauty Of what the bride of Christ gets to wear. Again, any good work is good. I'm not saying don't do any righteous acts unless God specifically tells you. But I think it's worth taking the time to ask the Lord, what would you have me do? What have you prepared for me to do? How have you created me to do a specific good work? So three ways we can prepare. Not the only ones, but three that stand out to me. Know God and worship him. Prepare for persecution and suffering. And ask God what good works he has prepared for you to do. So then we come to this last verse, verse 10. After all of this, John is amazed. And he says he fell at his feet to worship him, the angel who just given this message. But the angel said to him, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So just a couple thoughts on this. Both John and angels, both us us and angels, we are all servants of God. And ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit who does the work of bearing testimony to Jesus through an angel, through John, through us. I think there's a couple different ways and things we can learn from this. I think it's very possible John could have been trying to teach us several things through this one verse. But I think what is most significant for us is that any prophecy points to jesus and i know that this has been this has been said almost every week as you've studied revelation but it is so easy to get caught up in what does each symbol mean when will the lord come how will we know what is the sequence of events leading up to that it's easy to get lost in all of that but ultimately our study of revelation it must point us to jesus to the worship of god through the holy spirit and if our study does not take us to a greater view of Jesus and more ardent worship of God, it is misplaced. No matter what we're studying. This is true when we think about preparing for the wedding of the Lamb just as much as any other part of Revelation. All of Revelation points us to more greater devotion to Jesus, more ardent worship of the Father through the Holy Spirit. We, the Bride of Christ, are not preparing so that we are worthy of the wedding so that we're worthy of the lamb. Just like a bride doesn't buy a fancy dress and spend hours getting ready and months preparing just like to make sure that the groom like won't turn her down at the altar. No, that's ridiculous. She prepares, she plans, she makes herself ready for the joy and celebration of the moment to celebrate the union that God has brought together. And it's the same thing for the bride of Christ. We don't do the work hoping that the Lord won't reject us at the end. No, he like, I think we could show up in rags and he would still want to marry us. He still say, you are my bride. Think about that. He found us in rags. He cleaned us. He gave us white linen to wear. We can't do anything that is going to push him away We spend our time and our diligence preparing for this wedding, doing His righteous acts for the joy and the celebration of the moment. Sometimes, when I'm at weddings, I just depending on where I'm sitting, I can't always see the bride as she's walking in. You've probably been in those when you're like, "We're all standing up looking," I can't see her um, until she gets closer. But in those moments, I often turn around and will look at the groom standing right at the altar, just to see the joy. And just the disbelief on his face that he gets to marry this most beautiful woman. And I think, like, I think that is that is our purpose in preparing for the wedding, is for the joy I'm picturing like wedding that must happen in the ceremony sometimes in the sanctuary sometimes. The joy that is on the groom's face as he sees his bride who has done the work to prepare, who has made herself ready for the joy of being united. With the Lamb. So for all of us, let's prepare for the wedding just for that moment so we can just fully celebrate and bring joy to Jesus as we, the body of Christ, are most fully united with Him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of all that we have to give. Lord, we can spend our whole lives preparing um, and it would never say so it would never be enough, but Lord, we can never fully um express our gratitude and our commitment that you have chosen us, you have cleaned us, you have made us righteous, and it's because of you that we are worthy to be called the bride of Christ. So, Lord, we we worship you, um, we lift your name high. And Lord, we say it is an honor to follow you and to be loved by you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.